Amen. Good to be with you tonight. Good to have you at church with us. I see tonight we have all the people who are smart enough to skip that torrential sprinkling this morning. You waited to the PM services with blue skies and the blessing of God upon you. We're in a series in Exodus. We'll be in Exodus 15 tonight. And I'm going to preach a message about guarding against grumbling. I don't like that sermon topic. Now that the weather's getting cooler, we get our lives back a little bit. We're going for walks after dinner as a family. It's been really nice, you know, getting our daughter, going outside, and she's been really living her best life. As she sits in her little tyke's wagon, and we pull her down the street while she eats a popsicle and looks at Halloween decorations, and she'll say, look, look at the monsters. And we're like, yeah, those are, those are cool monsters. Like, they're, those aren't scary monsters. It's like, no, they're not scary. And we'll look at the monsters and we'll go through the neighborhood and eventually we'll make our way to the park in the neighborhood and we'll play and she'll run around and go down the slides and I'll swing her. You know, I'm pretty much out there winning dad of the year, swinging her and all of her dreams are coming true and she's laughing and the wind's in her hair and we're having a great time until we say it's time to go home. We say, it's time to go home, and she immediately has a nuclear meltdown. And it's like she forgets all of the good experiences she just had, all of the good things we've just done for her, and acts like we're taking her home to waterboard her. I don't understand. But she's a toddler, and that's what kids do. I don't think it's an accident that the Bible calls us the children of God. How often do do we just totally lose our minds as soon as something happens that really isn't according to plan or is kind of difficult or a little hard? And it's like we forget all the good things God has done for us, even that he just did for us. And we can find ourselves crying out in anguish, grumbling and complaining. And this is what happened with the Israelites. In Exodus 15, earlier in the same chapter, the whole thing is recording a song of praise and worship. They're singing to God who just parted the Red Sea for them so they could escape slavery in the armies of Pharaoh. And then later in the chapter here, what we're going to read tonight, they get out to where things start to get a little dicey and they immediately start to grumble and complain. Despite all of God's goodness, they show this repetitive pattern of doubting God and grumbling and complaining about their situation. It's like they have the memory of a toddler. So I'm going to read from Exodus 15 and verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Okay, so here we are. They had just 
been celebrating praise and worship to God for his goodness. We talked about that last week, a song of deliverance. That's why we praise and worship God and raise our hands and clap and sing. I could tell those of you who weren't here last week, I'm like looking around the room, I'm like, oh, he wasn't here last week. That's why he's just standing there like, I love Jesus in my heart. Okay, you got to catch up. You got to watch last week's sermon. Here they are now, three days later, they're in the desert and they start to get worried because they're running out of water. They probably brought some water with them, um, you know, water skins, wine skins, jugs. But now it's running out. It's three days later. They don't have any water and they're getting pretty nervous, which you can understand. You would think they would just trust God who just performed all these mighty miracles. If God could turn the river into blood, then he could turn sand into water if he had to. But instead, they start to grumble and complain against Moses. And it's easy for us to get in a pattern of grumbling and complaining in our lives too, isn't it? We complain about life. Life is just so hard. Life is so hard. We complain about the system. You know, like the system keeps the little man down. The system keeps the little man from getting ahead, right? We complain about our leaders. You know, our leaders, they don't know what they're doing. We complain about our church. Not you at this church, but your last church. You complained about that. You complain about your family, you know, you look at your spouse, you're like, man, your family's crazy. And she's like, your family's crazy. And you're like, I know, they are crazy. Like, we complain about so many things. It's like the Hunger Games, but the Grumble Games. Many people come into your life, and you will grumble them all to death. Many will enter, no one will leave alive without getting grumbled to death or complained about. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are, I'll find something to complain about. We just have that tendency. Yet the Bible's very clear that Christians have no business talking this way. It says in Philippians 2, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. I think it's interesting there that we see grumbling contrasted with purity. Do everything without grumbling so that you can be pure. Everything without grumbling. That's a tall task, isn't it? That means go to the DMV without grumbling. That means paying your taxes without grumbling. Oh God, thank you for those 80,000 new IRS agents. It's just a real delight paying these taxes. It means, it means man, you get pulled over for a speeding ticket. Don't grumble or complain about it. Spending time with your family, doing chores, changing diapers. Do everything, it says, without grumbling or arguing. We know grumbling and complaining go hand in hand. God tells us don't do it. Why? Well, here's the first point. Because grumbling is corrupting. It's corrupting. You have to be on guard against grumbling and complaining. Complaining is corrosive. You get a little bit of it into your heart. It will start to pollute the waters of your soul and you'll become slowly like the bitter waters of Mara. It's easy to think, you know, what's the harm in just a little bit of complaining? Everybody does it. (laughs) Or you might say, I'm not grumbling, I'm venting. Uh, You're you're venting something. I I know, we we think, you know, I'm just venting. That's just normal processing. I got to get some things out of my system. That's what we think. You know, honestly, I understand why it seems that way. But the truth is, you don't get anything out of your system through grumbling and complaining. What you do is you give birth to more grumbling and more complaining in your system. 
And as you vent out grumbling and complaining, it poisons the hearts of the people around you. Now, it's, it's okay to share frustrations with your spouse or your friend. Or sometimes you just have to talk through some of the challenges of life. But there's a difference between sharing frustrations versus just grumbling and complaining about your situation. And I've found that you have to be careful because if you grumble and complain, it will eventually start to affect the people in your sphere of influence. That's why I've noticed over the years, you will rarely meet a really sweet person who has a grumbler for a spouse. Because they, they affect each other. And husbands and wives, they either pollute each other or they purify each other. Over time, you'll become sweeter together. You'll be like that sweet old couple, you know, it's like gives candy, you know, to kids out of your purse and you're just really sweet. Or you'll become like that grumpy old crotchety, like get off my lawn couple. Because <laughs> you pollute each other. And so grumbling and complaining isn't harmless. It's polluting. It's more like mouth diarrhea. <laughs> I found this picture where someone painted a Sesame Street character around a sewer vent which perfectly illustrates mouth diarrhea. And if you don't really get anything else out of this sermon and all the Bible stuff goes over your head, all you got to do is just remember a mental image that when I grumble and complain, it's like mouth diarrhea. Well, just a little bit of grumbling never hurt anybody. Do you really want even a little bit of diarrhea in your mouth? A little bit goes a long ways, doesn't it? And so God says, that's not the way you're supposed to talk because grumbling is the opposite of trusting. Every word of grumbling and complaining is a vote of no confidence in God's sovereign plan. I'll say that again. Every word of grumbling and complaining is a vote of no confidence in God's sovereign plan. So uh, there are many examples in the book of Exodus and in the Old Testament of the Israelites grumbling and complaining and we can go to a lot of different examples, but another passage where there's a lot of grumbling and complaining is in Numbers 14. There were many to choose from. But Numbers 14, the Israelites are grumbling and complaining, and this is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Contempt, that means to act like I don't even matter, to act like I'm not important. God says, will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Like what? What do I got to do to get these people to trust me? I mean, I deliver them from slavery and provide for their needs. And still, something happens, they immediately start to grumble and complain. What does God have to do for us to trust him? Now, it's one thing to struggle to trust human beings when they hurt you again and again. That makes sense. But God has only ever been good to us over and over. He's never done anything that would warrant us not trusting him. God's good to us, and yet we respond with the memory of a toddler, and we quickly fail to trust him, which is why we start to complain about our situation. You know, we believe that God is sovereign as Christians. His sovereignty means he's in control, and he has power over everything that happens. Nothing happens that he did not allow to happen. And so people will ask, well, then why did God let this bad thing happen to me? Or why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's a good question. A lot of the why behind that, I don't know. But I'll tell you why it happens. It's because God gave you free will. He gave you free will and choice. And we tend to like having free will ourselves, but we don't like other people having it all the time. 
God didn't want a bunch of robots that were programmed to worship him. He wanted to create human beings who could choose to love him and worship him back. And so he gave you free will. And how many of you know, sometimes we use our free will to do good, and sometimes we use it to do bad. And people will do bad with the free will that God has given them. And so sometimes that hurts other people, and we can find ourselves saying, God, why did you let this happen? And, and the answer is often, I don't know why he let it happen. I, I know he gives people free will, and, and sometimes we sin, and we hurt God, we hurt people around us. But I do have this promise that no matter what happens to you, God will work it together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, God will work it together for good. And so you can trust him even in the midst of difficult circumstances, knowing that even if something bad is happening around you, God allowed it to happen. As difficult as that is to accept, and you know that somehow he's going to work it together for good. So when you start to complain about bad situations, what you're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to work this together for good. We think we're just letting out frustration in those moments, but we're actually voicing a lack of faith. So in those moments, it's tempting to grumble and complain. Grumble, 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 grumble. Complain, complain, complain. It's just human nature. And who do we tend to grumble against? Our leaders. That's one of the primary targets that we aim our grumbles and our complaints at. They're an easy target. So speaking for myself only, it's actually pretty easy for me to submit to my leaders, except for all the times they do things I don't like. <laughs> Which is all the time. <laughs> it's hard for all of us, right? It's hard to submit to leaders and honor them when they do things we don't like. And that's what we see with the Israelites. They grumbled against Moses. But here's the part of the sermon that you're not going to like. I'll just warn you right up front. This is challenging. But it's the part you need. It's the part we all need. Grumbling against your leaders is actually grumbling against the Lord. That's just what we tend to do. Kids grumble against their parents. Wives will grumble and complain about their husbands. Employees complain about they're bosses. Help me out here. Students complain about teachers. Citizens complain about politicians, right? Players on a sports team, they complain about the coach. Soldiers complain about their commanders. That's just human nature. We look at the person in charge and we want to put the blame on them. It's because, you know, sometimes we're, we're pretty dumb, but we're not dumb enough to grumble directly against God. That just feels wrong. So we're like, I'm not doing that. I'll grumble against the leader that God gave me. It's his fault. It's her fault. So we complain about them. The, the funny thing is often the leaders that we complain about the most are the ones that we need the most. I remember when I was a young officer in the army, I was a second lieutenant, and my first commander, my first boss was a guy named Captain Stone. And this guy was like straight out of an action movie. He was like studly and strong and intimidating and so here I am, like this young second lieutenant. My first boss is Captain Stone. And so I'm like you know, going about the course of business with this guy. And I was like kind of intimidated by this guy. But over time, 
you know, I, I found that it was really good for me to have to work for him, even though he was a hard man. He was a hard man. And so I, I, I found this was good for me because as a young person, I was really good at like working the system and getting out of things, you know, like manipulating people and just like making excuses and trying to like, oh, well, you know, the thing that happened is blah, 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 blah. And like it worked with my teachers growing up. It worked with youth pastors in church. But then when I tried to pull this stuff on Captain Stone, he nailed my butt to the wall. And he was just like, that's beep, 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 beep. And I'm just there like, oh. And I realized the old ways are not going to carry you through anymore, Ryan. You're going to have to get your act together. See, it wasn't the leader I wanted, but it was the leader I needed. And I didn't realize that God used that guy to help younger me take responsibility and do the right thing and grow through some immaturities in my life. But I know I was tempted to complain about him. It's the same with kids. Complain about their parents. My parents are so strict. That's the kid that needs strict parents. <laughs> Wives will complain about their husbands. My husband's so hard-headed. He's stubborn. Well, God gave you a strong husband so you wouldn't be able to bulldoze over him. I know there's some husbands right now, you're like, tell her. <laughs> My man. Right? No, I got your back, bro. <laughs> some people, it's like, God gave you a church and a pastor that would speak the truth clearly because you needed to hear it. That's what happened with the Israelites. They complained about Moses because he led them into the middle of nowhere in the desert without water. Why? Because Moses just had enough simple faith in God to follow wherever the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud led them. He didn't even need a plan. His plan was just follow God. And the Israelites were grumbling against him. What kind of leader leads us into the desert without water? The kind of leader that simply follows by faith. And if Moses wasn't that way, he would have never gone to Egypt in the first place to lead them out of slavery. But that same faith took him out into the middle of the desert with no water. And so the Israelites started to complain. In Numbers 14, it says this. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. Uh, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So here's Moses, he's been like a great leader for these guys, and as soon as there's a bump in the road, they start to complain and grumble against him. It's not even that anything that bad actually happened, they were just afraid that bad things would happen, and so they're like, we gotta get rid of Moses, get a new leader who will take us back to slavery. This kind of same scene plays out in small churches all across America in business meetings. Let's get rid of this pastor and get a new one. So we think we're complaining about the leader in these situations, but we're actually complaining against God. And we see that in the text in Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? It says they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, didn't it? And here's God. They're grumbling against me. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. Then God says this. You will all drop dead in this wilderness. Because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration, will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. 
So their grumbling and complaining against God caused them to miss out on the promised land. Did you know that's why the older generation wasn't allowed to go into the promised land? They grumbled and complained again and again and again. And if you read Exodus, you read uh, the Old Testament there, the first five books, you'll see it again and again, them grumbling and complaining. Eventually, they got to the point where they're like, we'd be better off dead. And God said, fine, you can be dead. You can all just drop dead in the wilderness. You think it'd be better off? You see, that's what costs them experiencing the promises of God. And their grumbling against God was actually a symptom of them rebelling against God. In that same passage, it says in verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. That's what Moses said. He didn't say, stop complaining about me. He said, do not rebel against the Lord. And rebellion is serious in Scripture. It always ends with terrible consequences. In Proverbs 17, it says, evil people are eager for rebellion, but they will be severely punished. And in Numbers, it brought the death penalty. But this theme gets repeated throughout the whole Bible that rebellion has consequences. The situations change, but the principle remains. In 1 Corinthians 10, it's talking about Moses and the Israelites, talking to God's people. And it says, we must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. How many of you know you want to know God as father? You want to know God as provider, you don't want to know God as destroyer. Amen? So we must not grumble as some of them did. They were destroyed as rebels for their grumbling. This carries forward into the New Testament. Like in Romans 13, everyone's least favorite passage in the Bible. It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Again, there's consequences. You see that there. They will be punished, it says. So it's talking about the concept of authority and governing authorities, and it shows us God is the one who established authority. He could have put us on the earth and made us all a big democracy. Everyone gets a vote. He could have said, follow your heart. But instead, he gave us leaders and structures and authority. And this comes from God. And I know you read that and you might think, but man, we've got a lot, a lot of corrupt leaders in, in politics. Well, so did the Christians in Rome in the first century. Paul wrote this to the Christians in Rome who were being persecuted and oppressed by a tyrannical government. And he said, all authority comes from God. If it's hard for us to accept this, think about how hard it was for them to accept it. It was probably just this quiet in the church in Rome too. They were like, Jeez, <laughs> this is tough, but all authority comes from God. And it's describing uh, in general the concept of leaders that come from God, but it doesn't necessarily cover every conceivable scenario, scenario, but it does tell us that in general we should submit to governing authorities, trust God. It will stretch us out of our comfort zone, doesn't it? This is true uh, when election time comes and your guy gets elected. And it's true when the guy you didn't vote for gets elected. And even if you're one of those people and you're like, well, that election was stolen. Even if it was, God allowed that to happen. That means every president we've had was appointed by God. Why does God let some bad guys get into positions of authority? How could God let that happen? I don't know. 
I look at how God raised up Pharaoh in Egypt for the purpose of displaying his glory through Pharaoh. We don't always know why. That's above our pay grade. But we do know God has a plan and we can trust him and we can honor the authorities that God has put into our lives. This carries forward into church leadership in Hebrews 13. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So think about a passage like this. I have to give the caveat that, of course, there have been pastors and church leaders who have abused their role as a leader and taken advantage of people and told people, you know, you need to submit to my leadership. You need to obey me. And that happens. I believe God will deal very harshly with those people. I will give the caveat. You never have to submit or obey some kind of sinful directive or something that contradicts the word of God. Anywhere you go and find mankind, you'll find people trying to take advantage of and abuse God's truth. Just like people take Ephesians 5 where it says, wives submit to your husbands. And they've used that passage to abuse wives and take advantage of their position as husbands. And so you'll find people doing that, but that doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, the word of God is still true. And the leaders that God has given you are for your blessing and protection in general. And God gives us spiritual leaders to lead us, to lead us. Sometimes leadership, uh, it's easy to follow. And sometimes it's hard to follow. I know there are people, they come to this church, they'll be like, Pastor Ryan, I love how you tell it like it is. I love how you speak the truth. The thing I found is they love it in a general sense, but when it gets applied to their life specifically, it's always like, ooh, no, who do you think you are telling me that I'm wrong? I didn't sign up for that. One star, see you later, guy. I'm like, okay. Okay. But God says that's of no advantage to you. It's not that he's threatening you with the death penalty like he did the Israelites, but in general, it's not going to go well when you don't honor the authority that God's given you. When you grumble and complain against your leaders, you're actually grumbling and complaining against God. This theme is in James chapter 5 where it says, don't grumble against each other. Brothers and sisters, so you know, you, you look around the room, you look around your life group and the people you're going to church with and says, don't grumble against each other or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Again, there's consequences and you get the mental image of like Jesus standing there like, mm, mm, mm. stop complaining about each other. Stop grumbling against each other. And there's consequences. The consequences of sin should take us, uh, cause us to take caution. And, and the fear of consequences of sin, that's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Causes us to, to, to rethink doing what's wrong and choose to do what's right. So let me close with how to overcome grumbling and complaining. I'll give you five semi-practical steps. Depends on your definition of practical. First, be purified by Christ. Be purified by Christ. The reason that we get uh, sometimes so nasty and critical and negative and mean, grumbling and complaining, is because we are corrupted with the sickness of sin. So go back to our passage in Exodus 15. It says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it into the water, 
and the water became fit to drink. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I think this is a strange passage, but it starts to make more sense when you really think about it in light of all of Scripture. It says that God commanded him to throw a log into the water. And that word in Hebrew, it could be also translated as a piece of wood, or it was primarily translated as a tree. Throw throw it into the water, you know. I don't know if it was a log or a stick or a branch or like a little tree like you have in your front yard, you know. If you threw that in the water. And that tree in the water, it caused the waters to be supernaturally transformed from bitter to life-giving, I think it was a miracle. I don't think it was a natural explanation. Like Moses didn't go all Dr. Quinn medicine woman and, you know, like this tree will make the water. No, it was God. He was just, he was making a point. And so then it says, it says this. I think this is strange. Why, when the Israelites were complaining about being thirsty and you got this thing with bitter water, why does God say, I am the Lord who heals you? This is where the title Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer, comes from. I am the Lord who heals you. This, this is a strange thing to say when people are thirsty. Why didn't he say, I am the Lord your provider? I am the Lord who takes care of your needs. But, but he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Well, I think it's not by accident. It's because we all have been corrupted by the curse of sin. And that pollutes us. It causes us to become bitter of heart. And that's what causes us to grumble and complain and be critical and negative and bitter. And ultimately what we need is not our immediate needs met. We ultimately need to be healed from the inside out. And you look at 1 Peter 2, it says this about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Moses threw a tree in the water. God said, I'm the Lord who heals you. Jesus died on a tree or the cross, but the Bible often calls it a tree. And by his wounds, you have been healed. By getting that tree in the water, it turned what was bitter into something sweet. By getting Jesus into you, it turns what was bitter into something sweet. A lot of the times, a lot of the times the reason that we are bitter, grumble and complain is because of past hurts and disappointments and pain. And that can eat away at us and cause us to become angry. And that's one of the amazing ways that God heals us is he helps us to forgive the people who hurt us. God does do physical healing. I believe that. We've seen it. God physically heals people. Uh, So, man, if you're sick, if you're in pain, um, if you have a disease, there is always hope that God's supernatural power might heal you. But you also have the hope that no matter what, all of us will be eventually totally healed from all sickness, pain, and disease in heaven. Okay? So your ultimate healing is already secured and coming. In the meantime, God has already begun the healing process inside of you, purifying your heart from the corruption of sin. He's the Lord who heals you. So let him do that. Let Jesus into your life to purify your heart. 
That will help you overcome grumbling and complaining. Here's the second thing. Honor your leaders. Honor your leaders. Grumbling and complaining was directed against their leaders, against Moses and Aaron. But we know that our leaders were given to us by God for our blessing and protection. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholeheartedly lo- wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. So we know that the Israelites grumbled against Moses, but he was just leading them where God directed him. So if grumbling against your leaders is actually grumbling against the Lord, then the flip is true of that as well. Honoring your leaders is also honoring of the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we do this. And here's a little, a little tip that will help you do this. In the military, we had a phrase, you don't have to respect the man, but you do have to respect the rank. That means even if you don't like the person or all of their decisions, you have to respect the positional authority that they hold, that God put them in that position. And it's true for us as well. You might not like every decision a leader in your life makes. You might struggle to trust them, but you can honor them. And when you do that, you're actually honoring God. And regardless of what that leader does, God will bless you through that. Three. You want to overcome grumbling and complaining? Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. I know you might think that's a real Christian-y answer. That's okay, because we're Christians. (laughs) That same passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So rejoice always. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one way to overcome grumbling and complaining is through the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so, man, if you struggle with this and you're like, man, I grumble and complain a lot, actually, now that I think about it, uh, that Holy Spirit you just mentioned is convicting me right now. Well, okay, that's good. You're off to a good start. Ask the Holy Spirit for help and let him produce the good fruit of joy in you. Then praying, praying to God builds up your faith In God, grumbling is a lack of faith, but praying to your father in heaven reminds you that he's a good father, even when your situation isn't good, and you can trust him. That's one of the ways you can overcome grumbling and complaining. Okay, God's in control. I'm praying about the situation. I'm taking it to God. He's building my faith. It's helping me, okay? And then it says, give thanks in all circumstances, (laughs) In all circumstances. I mean, this is a tall order. This is where you get better perspective about your situation. You'll you'll be aware of hard things and, and struggles and bad things, but there's something in your life in that moment that you can give thanks for. There's something you can give thanks for. I know like your husband's getting on your nerves. At least you got a husband. There's a single girl somewhere on Christian Mingle right now. She's like looking for a husband. Like, please, God, send me a husband. And you're there complaining about your husband. Give thanks you have a husband. You're complaining about your kids. My kids are crazy. God, why did you give me these kids? There's a couple somewhere. Right now they're going through their fourth round of IVF praying for kids. You can thank God you have kids. You just got a speeding ticket. I know it stinks, but you can thank God that you have a car to speed in. 
right? Like you, you got passed over for a promotion at work. I know it's disappointing, but instead of grumbling and complaining, like not fair, never, you can thank God you have a job still. Like it doesn't matter what you're dealing with, there's something to give thanks for. And when this world is crazy all around you, you can thank God that you're just passing through. And heaven is your home. There's a story in the book, The Hiding Place, with Corey Tim Boom, where her and her sister, Betsy, are in a Nazi concentration camp. And they get stationed in barracks 28. And there in the middle of that barracks, they read this verse that says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And there in those barracks, their beds and the place all around them is infested by fleas. And Corey's sister, Bessie, says, we got to give thanks for the fleas. And Corey's like, okay, but you're crazy. <laughs> My paraphrase. So they thank God for the fleas. And then they start to realize that the reason that the guards aren't coming into their barracks to mess with them is because of the fleas. And so there in the barracks, they're able to read the Bible that they smuggled into other women and minister the hope of Jesus to these women. They realized even the fleas were something to give thanks for. And God used it for good. Fourth, you want to overcome grumbling and complaining? Replace death talk with life talk. You got to realize I'm not just venting when I voice complaints, but potentially I'm speaking death. And there's a lot of power to that. In Proverbs 18, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is bigger than sticks and stones may break my bones. This can be literally true. I have seen situations where a person is so hurt by what was said that they killed themselves. And I've seen, thankfully, a lot more the opposite, where someone was on the brink of suicide, but someone spoke life to them and hope, and it caused them to hold on and keep fighting, keep living. Your words can build up or tear down. In Ephesians 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This word corrupting, corrupting here, it's the same word Jesus uses to describe bad fruit that comes from bad trees. It's the same word Jesus used to describe rotten fish that you should throw back overboard. Don't let bad fruit come out of your mouth because you've got a good work going on inside of you. Let the Holy Spirit produce good fruit, that which is fit for building up. You can build up and tear down with your words. Some of you grew up in households where you were torn down with words. You're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You're stupid. You were an accident. And that wears you out and it tears you down. It's like poison to your soul. On the other hand, you can be built up with words. You're gifted. You're called. God has a plan for your life. You're special. You're anointed. You're so good looking. It's incredible. And that just like fills your sails with wind. Isn't it amazing how, man, when you see uh, someone thriving, usually there's someone behind them encouraging them with words that build up. I mean, as a husband, you know, my wife's words really build me up. She'll be like, oh, you preached that sermon so good. It was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. And I'm like, tell me more, tell, tell me more. She'll be like, you're the most handsome pastor. I'm like, okay, that's enough, that's enough. Your words can build people up. So choose those kinds of words that fit the occasion. So there's a time to say certain things. You know, you don't want to say the right thing at the wrong time. 
You want to choose the right time. Sometimes you have to deliver hard news. Choose the timing wisely. You know, my wife, if she has to have a hard talk with me, she'll wait till after she feeds me and I'm happy and content. And she'll be like, honey, there's some things I need to talk about. I'm like, whatever you want, girl. Come on, tell me. You know, I'm just like, it's the right time. It fits the occasion. So we can give grace to one another with our words. And grace brings favor and blessing and health and life. And then last five, trust God to care for you. Trust God to care for you. When you're feeling like complaining and grumbling, ultimately, remember, it's about a lack of trust you're not going to be okay is what you're worried about. I'm worried about this situation. You think you're frustrated and that's why you're complaining. It's probably more that you're scared that things aren't going to work out okay. You're more angry. You're, you're scared. You're hurt. You're disappointed. In those moments, you have to trust God to take care for you. The Israelites were scared that they wouldn't have enough water. And that's a reasonable thing to be upset about. But not only did God do a miracle to give them water, but he had a plan all along to meet their needs. It said in Exodus 15, 27, then after God did a miracle at Marah, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Elam was an oasis in the desert, and a place where they could be refreshed by water or find shade in these palm trees, and, and it was just a, a little pit stop on their journey to the promised land. But it was a place that God had set aside for them to be refreshed. And there they were at Mara, getting scared because of bitter water. God did a supernatural miracle, but right around the bends, there was this place of resting and refreshment. Yet they allowed anxiety to well up inside of them and complain and grumble against the leader that God gave them because they were worried. And sometimes you can't help it when anxious thoughts pop into your mind. When you get an unexpected bill or a pain or a child who's being difficult and you'll have anxiety, like, is this gonna be okay? You can't always help when that anxiety comes. But scripture tells you what to do in First Peter. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God cares about you enough that he wants to hear about all the things that give you anxiety. And he's powerful enough to do something about it. So you can give all your anxieties to him. You don't have to carry those things and worry. You don't have to grumble and complain. Complaining about your situation is never going to make it any better. Grumbling about your situation isn't going to fix it. And if you're really being honest with yourself in that moment, you're worried that you won't be okay, you're worried that you won't have enough, so you'll grumble and complain like the Israelites did, grumbling in the desert. It's like they didn't remember, you have to go through the desert to get to the promised land. But they're there like, well, I'm thirsty, it's hot. Why do we have to walk in this desert? Well, you gotta go through the desert to get to the promised land. A lot of times we complain about the difficulties of the desert, and we forget that God is leading us to the promised land, a place of promise and blessing and rest. So we got to trust the Lord to care for us. It reminds me of the words of Jesus when he says in John, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
He's my shepherd. I'll have everything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even when life is difficult, I can trust in the good shepherd. He's got a plan for this situation. He can work this together for good, even though it doesn't seem good. Because he is good and he cares for me. He's promised to satisfy me and meet all my needs. I don't have to grumble against God. I can trust in God. He's proven himself again and again. Do you receive that? Amen. Let's bow our heads. If you're here, the first step for you is to accept Jesus. If you haven't done that, you have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior to experience this purification in your soul. And what happens is that sin, something we've all done and we all do, it's corrupting. And it makes us unclean in God's sight. And so people will do all kinds of things trying to feel worthy. They'll try to feel clean or good enough. They'll, they'll try to do good deeds. But that, that doesn't work. It won't work. The only thing that cleanses us is the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. And the way that that happens is we put our trust in Jesus to save us. We say, I'm not going to try to save myself because I know I can't. I recognize that no one else can, only Jesus. And so if you're ready to do that tonight, maybe you've never accepted Jesus before as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now first. And wherever you're at, just pray this prayer in your own words. Just repeat it after me, and we'll pray this together. First, just pray this with me. Just say, God, I confess that I've sinned against you, and I need your forgiveness. I believe in Jesus, and I trust in him to save me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven. I believe Jesus rose again so I can have eternal life. And Lord, I thank you for leading me all the days of my life. I thank you for loving me. I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna trust in your plan wherever you take me. In Jesus' name, I pray. With your head still bowed, if you just pray that prayer, raise your hand up right now. Just raise your hand up to God. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? That's great, thank you in the back. You just prayed that prayer to accept Jesus. Thank you, man. That's great. Hey, church, let's stand to our feet. God is so good, isn't he? What a challenging word. I know it's challenging for me. I hope it was challenging for you. <laughs> but I know you're dealing with situations, and some of you maybe are going through hard times, and this word has encouraged you to take those needs to God. So let's do that. Let's lift up all of our needs to the Lord, casting our anxieties on him and trusting him to develop a good work in us and through our situation. We're gonna pray and we're gonna respond with worship. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We bring all of our needs to you. We lay them down at your feet. Ask you to take care of every situation, every problem, take away anxiety, replace it with joy. Help us to give thanks for the good things in our lives. We thank you for your favor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. <laughs>